You're listening to the official podcast of Asbury University, produced by students with God-honoring conversations that inform, edify, and encourage. This is Asbury. We explore culture and current topics through a Christian worldview, promoting a well-balanced life, and we empower our community to belong, become, and be set apart. I'm your host, Abby Lobb. Welcome to This is Asbury. Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to This is Asbury podcast. It is my honor to introduce our guest today, Dr. Vanessa Quainu. Uh, but before that, just very quickly, I am Reverend Dr. Esther Jadhav, and I serve at Asbury University as the Associate Vice President for Intercultural Affairs and Spiritual Development. Today, I have the great honor of introducing our chapel speaker, Dr. Vanessa Quainu, who is appointed as the Chief Intercultural Engagement Officer at Wheaton College and has graced us with her presence and her words, um, just inviting us into a deeper walk of faith with God for the sake of the kingdom work. So without uh, further delay, Dr. Quainu, welcome to Asbury University and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. It's just an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome. Absolutely. So one of the questions we would love to have you uh, speak to, your expertise includes social rhetoric and race discourse. Can you give us an overview of why you chose to focus on these topics? Uh, yes, of course. Sometimes I like to think that rhetoric and the rhetoric of race chose me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it has a lot to do with my upbringing. I was raised in a Christian home um, at, by a, obviously an African-American family who um, shielded me. My parents shielded us mm -hmm. and my two sisters from the harshness of racism and the racial dynamics of the day in the 1970s and 80s when I was growing up. And even though I did not feel the full sting of those difficult days, mm. I became very curious about why race and racial dynamics was such an issue. And I was drawn to, uh, to, to rhetoric as a methodology. That's so intriguing in these days when social sciences uh, don't seem to be on the forefront like they used to be. So could you share a little bit about how someone who is so taken up with wanting to bring justice to make the world a better place, mm -hmm. to be the kingdom community that we're invited to be as people of God, why should we concern ourselves with these aspects of social rhetoric, the race discourse, sociology, anthropology? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not totally sure when or how, but somewhere along the uh, time of my upbringing, I was surrounded by 
African-American preachers. My dad was a preacher. Um, I had uncles and, and relatives who were preachers. And so the, the, the power of articulating the word of mm -hmm. God was a very important part of my life, even as a little girl. And I quickly understood the spiritual nature of language and communication and the power of words and how language can be manipulated mm. as a tool in the hands of the person who wants to uh, promote justice, just as it can be a tool in the hand of the person who wants to oppress mm. or, um, or promote injustice. And so I was fascinated by the use of language to create these, these structures that can set people free or that can harm people. And I, I, I decided I want to devote my life's work mm -hmm. to helping people to, 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 to promote justice. Dr. Quainer, you used a very powerful phrase uh, that these disciplines that you went after, it was almost like they chose you. So how can someone know that something is choosing them, that there's something that's beckoning them? Because we're so caught up with self-doubt, right? So how does one discern and know that this is something beyond yourself that's beckoning you? It has a lot to do, I think, with an inner calling it also has to do with the witness of that inner calling. Mm. So even as a young teenager, I found myself in speaking situations that <laughs> I didn't really want to be a part of, but mm. I, would be, I, would, I would be asked to represent our church youth group or asked to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. on Martin Luther King Day as a teenager many different speaking situations. And so sometimes talent, ability, um, you know, equipping will converge with opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, it is the way of destiny. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that can happen. That's so good. I, I want to pivot just a little bit and talk about your work at Wheaton College. Mm -hmm. So some of your work involves promoting and developing inclusive pedagogy and curriculum that support culturally responsive classrooms with Christian faith integration. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand what that entails mm -hmm. and how you carry out inclusivity on a daily basis? Mm. Really, I have to nod to uh, give give respect to our provost, mm. Dr. Karen Lee at Wheaton College. Obviously, with the support of our president, Dr. Riken, she has set these initiatives in motion to make concrete changes with our our faculty and to equip them to make our curriculum a far more inclusive curriculum. And when we use the word inclusive, we're talking about representation from racial and ethnic groups that represent the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So to 
explain what that entails and how I carry that out. I come alongside the provost. For instance, we are helping each department to to write detailed diversity strategic plans, mm-hmm. like a one-year plan, three-year plan, five-year plan. That This is their projection of how their department is going to be diversified in the next you know, period of time. Well, they may not reach all of their goals, mm-hmm. but it's helping them to set goals and then equipping them with the reading, the kinds of materials, putting them in touch with with authors and research materials that help them professionally diversify their classroom. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doing workshops. I'll be doing a workshop in February. I just did a workshop this uh, beginning, first, first week in January 2024, kicked off with a workshop with um, many of our uh, deans and directors and, and, and faculty we're we're doing the work to equip them so that they will feel comfortable in the classroom mm. being a representation of change. Mm. You know, for our listeners, I'll just briefly mention uh, Dr. Quainu spoke in our Dr. Martin Luther King's chapel this morning, and we had a lunch talk back. And you made another powerful statement. So many great statements you've, you're leaving with us. And you mentioned about the disservice that we might do to ourselves as a Christian community or people uh, that are in this mission of serving the world. So we do a disservice to our students by not um, inviting them or bringing to them the knowledge that comes from other racial, ethnic, cultural uh, groups of scholars. So could you, yes. it's not as eloquent as you framed it, Dr. <laughs> Quainu, but I was taken up with that comment of the disservice that we might do unintended. Mm-hmm. Yes. Speak into that, please. Oh, absolutely, that we are charged with educating our students mm-hmm. with the very best um, array of materials and authors and disciplines and ways of thinking that we can offer them. Mm. So we do them a disservice if we invite them to spend the four years or less or more. And if we just um, make them think that that is all there is to the knowledge process, to the knowledge acquisition process. Mm. And we don't give them the tools to engage other paradigms, other models, to put on other lens so that they can practice seeing the world through the eyes of other cultures, not asking them to dismiss their biblical standards. Mm. But it's very important that they know that the world is made up of more than just the Western (laughs) kind of framework or American framework or Eurocentric framework. Mm. So we are obligated to educate ourselves so that we can educate our our students so they can be ready to 
to go into the world as fully prepared. Mm -hmm. So in conjunction with that, what are some ways higher education needs to improve in its intercultural communication and focus? And what are some things we're doing right? Yes. Well, one of the things that I, I think we're doing right is I think we are opening up more to more frames and paradigms, more ways of thinking, as I just said earlier. I think we're opening up more and different ways of learning. Mm -hmm. This is really exciting. I'm, I'm not in the you know, education <laughs> field. That's not my, my specialty, but I have uh, several friends. That's their, that's, that's their expertise. And they're talking to me about you know, open class learning and different ways that different students learn. And one way of learning is not inferior to the other. Like in maybe older um, or mm -hmm. past generations, we just thought, you know, a traditional uh, multiple choice exam was, was indicative of a student's capacity for learning. Mm -hmm. No, 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 there are st some students who are visual learners, who test better with oral exams. Mm. And so higher education, I think, has got that right. Mm -hmm. What are some things that we need to improve on with the intercultural piece? We, I said it earlier, and there's no way to get around this. Mm. We have got to increase the numbers of educators who are coming from communities of color. Mm both domestic and international. There, there's, there's, there's no way, you can't, you can't sort of substitute variety. You either have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that we need to really press into, mm -hmm. especially in Christian colleges, is to increase the numbers of, of educators who are coming from communities of color and increase our student numbers mm -hmm. of students mm -hmm. of color. So much to talk about and so little time. <laughs> so let me ask you, how have you seen our faith-centered colleges and universities promote diversity and inclusivity compared with our secular institutions? Well, you know where I'm going to go with that. <laughs> we are kingdom citizens. Right. So even when we do not always get it right, we have it right. Mm. I am firmly, so firmly convinced that biblical kingdom diversity is the answer. Mm. Now, we have fumbled the ball, you know, <laughs> on the field, mm. but that does not taint the substance of what God has said. Mm. Whatever he has said bears its own validity. We are the ones who must take responsibility for missing it or somehow getting, getting it incorrect. You know, we, we didn't get it correctly. We didn't get it correct. But I, I really think that we are at a turning point. Christian colleges, I won't say around the world, but really it's, it's around the world. But let me zone in on America for, mm -hmm. for the moment, for the purposes of this discussion. Yes. Christian colleges in America are at a key pivotal moment mm. 
because the crisis in our culture is a crisis that is spiritual. Mm. It is a crisis of justice versus injustice. That's spiritual. You know, it is a crisis of marginalization versus the possessions of those who are privileged. That has a spiritual base. Any particular uh, problem or issue that you point to in our culture right now, it has a spiritual base. Mm -hmm. So that the Christian campuses have an opportunity mm -hmm. to show the world, to show what kingdom diversity looks like. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a lot of hard work, but as I said earlier today, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. So we don't do that ourselves. We cooperate with the, with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Dr. Quenu. So in closing, I want to offer this question to you. How have you seen biblical diversity and inclusivity being at the forefront of Asbury oh. while you've been with us in these two days? Oh, yes. And then as we conclude with that question, I want to make a mention of the powerful commission you gave us in chapel this morning to pour the oil, to share with the world what God has done, and to not be afraid with a brother or a sister that may be different from yourself that is standing beside you. So connect those dots for us, Dr. Quainu. Connect, connect the power that we have access to. But but so often we live beneath. Mm. We, we lower the value of the power that we have access to in the Holy Spirit. So connect all those dots for us, Dr. Kwenu. Dr. Jad, have I think you just connected them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that was so powerful. Pour yeah, the oil. Yeah. So what have you seen and how do you invite our listeners? Asbury, you, you are blessed. You're such a blessed community. I sensed the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I stepped onto the stage this morning in a very real and tangible way. I still sense it. It has been with me the whole afternoon, this sense of his presence. And I'm saying with that kind of anointing, Asbury, Take it and share it. Tell it wherever you go. Mm. Proclaim it. Talk about it. Don't take it for granted that, oh, it's happening. Every, it's not necessarily all at every campus all the time. So I would say with the outpouring of the grace of God, share that in full confidence that God is, is, at, is busy at work. And... I have to say this, Asbury University, one of the most hospitable places I've ever traveled to. You're so hospitable, and we know that's the work of grace. So thank you. There's a, there's a tremendous amount of love here on this campus, so I expect great things from Asbury. Thank you so much, Dr. Quainu. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. And I invite you to please tune into chapel January 17th, which was our MLK uh, chapel with Dr. Vanessa Quainu of Wheaton College. So we sign off 
sharing our greetings with you, thanking you for listening and inviting you to join us in the Great Commission. Thank, thank you, Dr. Kim. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This is Asbury. To learn more about Asbury University, visit asbury.edu. Mm-hmm.